Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? It's going quite well. How about yourself? I mean, we're winding down here. I know. I've got a little bit of a sad face on when I realised this is our last preview show of the season. One race left. Winter is coming. Yeah, it is. And how is that wall going for you, by the way? Which which wall? Oh, the the mysterious Westerosi wall. Yeah. Okay, we don't have one. I don't know where you're going with that. I assume it was going to be a Trump reference, and I'm backing away to make sure that we don't fall foul of anything before this winter break. We are going to do something we've never done before, Matt. I think since 2014... We're going to take a short break, a very short break. We're going to take two Sundays off. So we're not going to have a show on the 22nd and 29th of December, but then we'll be back on the 5th of January with loads of different F1 content, news, debate, quizzes, and loads build up for F1 2020. I know you were nervous about taking a break, but I think on this occasion, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a try. All right. Fair enough. I mean, it is only two Sundays, but, you know, I just uh, as a freelancer, you never want to leave things empty if you can avoid it. I know, but it's been such a it's been such a for me personally, a whirlwind year, loads and loads of changes. But it's also been a really debatey year as well. So I think like just about every race, we've had some hot topic debate on your on our certainly in our WhatsApp group, in the Slack groups and on Twitter. So I think I just I just need like three weeks or two weeks where I just delete those apps from my phone and just return to being like a normal civilized human being. Uh, you mean you just be debating in real life? Yeah. See, that's it. Will I now take my eye out? I'm just going to be picking fights <laughs> at, around the Christmas table. Like, Grandma, what do you think about the, the F1? What do you think about the fuel sensors? Oh, I don't know, dear. Anyway, we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, 
but we're first. We're also joined by PR guru, live from his bedroom, Chris Stevens, looking very tidy in there today. Thank you. It's it's all, all for you guys. A made bed makes a room. And just because Chris has had to duck out of e-radio show does not mean that Missed Apex isn't covering Formula E. We have rebranded it to, form, uh, to Missed Apex FE, and you can find that feed on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. We will be bringing you a race review sometime early next week of the doubleheader in Saudi. Uh, we're also joined by Danish broadcaster Christian Pedersen. How's it going, Christian? I'm good, Spanners, and you? Yeah, I'm very good. Um, we don't just bring you on to find out about Kevin Magnussen, but you do have a vital Kevin Magnussen update for us. He's selling his Porsche, but most of us already knew that, right? Is that headline news in, in Denmark, in the Copenhagen Times? Yeah, exactly. That's what we all talk about here. It's, uh, it's the big thing. Okay, well, aside from the, the K-Mag Porsche news, we do also have some big, dirty news. Big, dirty news. Uh, Matt Trumpets, a Red Bull, normally really good at pit stops. Uh, this week, though, they I don't know why they even publicly broadcasted it. A 29 or 30 second pit stop for Red Bull. Just appalling. What's happened to that outfit? Uh, well, you would go with appalling, except for the fact that it was done uh, in zero gravity. <laughs> uh, which makes it a little, it gives it a little bit of context that might have been lacking from your intro. Yeah, and I will be honest, I don't know what uh, possessed them to do this when they could have tried to drive a Formula One car upside down on a ceiling, maybe. <laughs> yes. But hey, you know, it was still pretty cool. Yeah, they took the RB1 uh, because it was lighter and weighed less, hopped it onto the back of uh, what was colloquially known as the Vomit Comet, uh, I believe. And then they just continued to do free files until they got all the parts in the right place. It was um, such a good stunt, wasn't it? And I love that Red Bull do these kind of things. It was a really good week for like really cool social media content because uh, McLaren had that video with the Sciences Trophy from um, Brazil as well. But Red Bull absolutely taking the cake on stunt of the year for this one. Yeah, oh yeah, it was um, signs going around the McLaren factory wondering where the key for the trophy cabinet was. Uh, that, yeah, that's fantastic. I wonder how much McLaren has been led by Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz being really good and really focused. And they've gone, wow, actually, we've we've got two drivers here who have brought McLaren this brand new image, Chris, isn't it? it, it it's now no longer the super serious Ron Dennis uh, Alonso team. It's the, They are the young, the young bubbly upstarts and every, there's this wave of hope behind them. I think um, that all the teams are really starting to approach social media in a more fun and buoyant sort of way. I mean, even Ferrari are are very active on social media and not just this is what's happening, A, B, C, D, E. uh, No, it's actually kind of fun, creative content. And as somebody who does that for a living, it's actually really nice to see all the F1 teams really embracing this uh, sort of new wave of social media content. And and Red Bull traditionally are a team that will just do things just because. I mean, I mean, Christian, you know, they, they don't have to fly you know, uh, stunt planes through obstacle courses. They don't have to do all those motorbike explosion-y type jumps. They're just a brand that loves to do things because we can. 
but if you look at the Red Bull brand, actually the way they 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 sort of developed the, the viral sport campaign, they they invented most of it, and this is ten years ago maybe, and they still reinvent the viral campaigns. They still do things we we couldn't even imagine a sport brand or a sugar drink brand would would ever do. And I, I it's hats off to that team for constantly reinventing how you can approach sports in an extreme and funny. And sometimes upside down way, which is literally what they did here. And also, I have to have to say that that McLaren thing called Unbox, which is like a format for for YouTube, they do twenty minutes uncommented, just straight up documentary style. That is that is so much the new way to approach this. And they actually it's an, it's entertaining. It's uh, no comments for twenty minutes. And you're at the races. You don't see any race cars going by because of all the the rules and stuff. But it's still entertaining. And if I was Netflix, I would seriously look at how McLaren currently is uh, approaching uh, their branding strategy. Definitely. Well, it sounds like you know a, a lot more about it than I do. Is it is it a case of this is a cherry on top for the teams to do stuff like this, or is it is it so advantageous? from a marketing and branding point of view, that we're going to start seeing an arms race. Like we're going to see more and more like, you know, teams coming out of the woodwork and trying to be Red Bull and McLaren. I think we already see that. If you look at just the way, I think Mercedes was the first one to approach it in a sort of academic way where they have, uh, they have the, what you call the, the, uh, the pit report or what's it called? The, the strategy report. They always release like a couple of days after a race. That is the, totally different approach to to being open about your choices and stuff like that yeah. that sets the new standard i would say in communication i think mercedes has really embraced that particularly well whereas red bull has just kept it up still you still hear david getter at the 120 decibels in the garage it's horrible for my taste but they just keep that that uh, it's up there all the time and i, I that's impressive and i say uh, i have to say mclaren just they took everyone's by surprise, I think, this year on the grid and off the grid as well. Uh, I know we're going to talk about science later, but uh, that whole energy in the team, uh, if if it was the Alonso times, they probably couldn't do the unboxed thing they do now. They can do that because the team also have this vibrance and this energy within. So everything come across um, maybe differently than, than it would like a year ago. Uh, and absolutely, we'll, we'll we'll circle round to signs. I just want to stay on Red Bull now, and and I will say I I, I really did enjoy that uh, because at first you think, oh, they've done some CGI, they've done some clever graphics, or they're on wires, and you go, no, they actually went up on the vomit comet with an F F one car. Like, what's the board meeting that that got agreed that that got that agreed? Someone suggested that. Did everyone go? Yeah, sure. We'll do a, a pit stop in zero gravity. I would love to be gone. I'm pretty sure no board meeting will ever take place around these things. And I think that's the same for maybe at, at Mercedes, the way they approach things. But at McLaren as well, no board, no board meeting saying that that was someone with a good idea on the floor, just make it happen. And I think that's how Red Bull approaches these things as well. They, they trust in the folks they have uh, connected. Yeah, I mean, I think at Red Bull, it's pretty much uh, Dieter Matterschitz going, hey, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do it. Exactly. Ah, okay. Okay, so more like a more like a Roman like a Caesar than a than a parliament. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Matt, do we feel like it is going to be a genuine three-way fight? B- 
because that, that this is this is what happened at the end of last season as well. You have Mexico and Brazil roll around, and suddenly you go, oh, 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 next season, Ferrari are on the up, Red Bull are coming through, Mercedes need to look out. No, <laughs> I, I think history shows that it will not wind up being a three-way fight. I think what you have right now is you have Red Bull, Honda being good at certain tracks, most of which we have just seen. I think you have Ferrari, potentially, um, depending upon how the rest of this year plays out, being a contender next year, assuming they can avoid the technical peccadillos that plagued them throughout the early season. But really, there you have a different issue. Namely, Leclerc and Vettel taking points off each other. We don't see Botas taking points off of Hamilton often. And we don't see Red Bull being competitive at enough tracks yet. So what you're really going to have is Mercedes, Verstappen, and then Vettel and Leclerc. And it might be closer. It might be more like a 2017 year. But it has yet to be shown, at least to me right now, that it's going to be a proper three-way fight. Uh, Chris, I just got this feeling that somehow it's it's different this season. Something feels different, but instead of trusting my, my base instincts, I will go to you because I know you have the figures to hand. Has this year been a better Red Bull season than the previous year? Uh, I would argue yes. Um, some of the statistics would say otherwise, but I disagree with statistics in principle because you always need context for those uh, statistics. Uh, so let's look at last year. If you just look at wins, for example, um, Red Bull had four wins last year. So far, they've only had three. But if you were to, say, look at Ricardo's two wins in Shanghai, that was based on a strategic decision. And the Monaco win, well, Mercedes have really cured their uh, low corner speed uh, deficit that they've had over the last couple of years. They absolutely dominated Monaco uh, in qualifying, at least. And then the strategy, you know, Red Bull could have won Monaco this year if uh, the strategy worked out a little bit um, better. Uh, but also you've got to remember that Max is kind of riding solo uh, at Red Bull in terms of uh, the wins and the podiums because, you know, uh, Gasly certainly hasn't been there and Albon isn't up to that stretch yet. And last year, Ricardo other than those two wins, was not on the podium. Yeah, well, when Hamilton's not spoiling at all by barging into the side of Alvin, I mean, he was on for that podium. <laughs> when the time comes, it will not be an issue for him to be on the podium. No, I, I agree with that as well. I think Albon is going to have a much better chance next year uh, when he actually gets some influence in the design of the car uh, a little bit and actually gets you know some proper testing. Um, the, the interesting one for me is the fact that last year they had 10 podiums. This year, they've had 11 so far so max has always been you know right in there and uh, only once this season has he finished outside of the top six and uh, the retirements as well i mean there were 11 retirements last year and i think that's where we were supposed to be kind of looking at, at honda versus red bull because i think we all agree that honda is getting up there in terms of power the thing that i still don't think they quite have nailed down is the reliability because they're still taking strategic grid drops at particular races mm. so that they can be quick at the races they do think they're going to be competitive at. We yeah. yet to see them go through the year like Mercedes or Ferrari where they're thinking that we're not planning for strategic grid drops. 
Okay, firstly, uh, Othnell in our live chat. Hello to the live chat room. You can join us on YouTube. Search for Missed Apex Podcast. Othnell says, Albon will never get a say in car design. I am slightly inclined to agree. I think he'll have a Why? say. He'll have a say. He can say, I, I, I think that this could be improved. I'm, I'm suffering in this area, and they can take note of that. But if he wants to take it down a design path that suits him better than Verstappen, no. So I think that's what Othnell means there. He's not going to drive the direction of the design at all. If if, no. if if Verstappen wants a particular type of car, I don't really know the, the terms I'm using here, but if he wants a pointier front end or uh, something, uh, more tyre squirts, they're going to go with Verstappen, even if, if, Albon, if Albon rejects that. Um, there is a key difference, though, between the retirements last year and this year. Uh, last year, you were at a very mature Renault engine, and I think that Renault yeah. engine, we kind of feel like it's never going to really get any further. Like they've come up to a certain level and everything now is diminishing returns. They don't seem to have that extra edge that's going to that's gonna push them on and bring them in with the top teams. This year, you have to say really is year two of Honda proper. You know, they had a really good run with the Toro Rosso where they had a lot more freedom and development. Where And now they've got their engine, Honda have got their engine into a top-tier team, have race wins, have podiums, are competitive, and they can only go up from here. So this feels more positive than last year. I think, especially when you look at the races that they haven't been winning at, for example, they're still right there with Ferrari, for example. So they are absolutely in the fight. The trouble, really, with comparing last year versus this year is that you can just kind of write off the first half of this season because it was so dominated by uh, Mercedes. So if, if you factor that out of the equation, I think you can. there's a really strong case to say that Red Bull are in a much stronger position this year versus last year. Whether they can then maintain that over the course of a whole season in 2020, I'm not convinced. I think they, have, they they know more about where their starting point in 2020 will be than 19. I think even though they had one year Toro Rosso with Honda, the engine was still kind of new in the in the Red Bull uh, car, and uh, I'm pretty sure Horner and the crew were like scratching the table for the first few races. But everything turned out perfectly. Uh, start 2020, they will have a totally different different relationship with Honda, and it's going to be more integrated. Uh, and I think that's going to give them a few tens as well. Hey, Chris. And and I think if next year we're, we're looking at that, that three-way fight, I think it will be a three-way fight in the beginning, maybe, but then Red Bull will sort of fade away. So I am personally looking what? more at, at Ferrari no, you've got, to be the ones. Right, Matt's got the same look as me on his face. Surely it's the other way around, Matt. Surely if they all start off together, then it's Ferrari that's most likely to fade away over the course of a season. Uh, they have a long and storied history of remarkably getting it messed up when it counts most, don't they? I mean, you'd have to look at their technical advantage and their power advantage and say, it sure looks good, but that's what we said this year, and then and then see what happens. I mean, Red Bull, if they are consistent, if Albon can close up the gap, eh, eh, he's not going to take points off Verstappen in the same way Leclerc's going to take points off Vettel. So I think... If you make that argument, you could say that Red Bull may be poised to be proper number two in the constructors next year. Chris, I, I, I would redact quickly. The chat room is on to you and they don't agree with you. No, because my point is, is that they're not going to be fighting at every race. 
you know that Mercedes are going to be fighting for the win at 90% of the races. Ferrari, maybe a little bit under that, depends on how they start their season. With Red Bull, you know they could maybe, if they keep this form up, and that's a big if because Red Bull really struggle over the the last couple of years to, to hit the ground running. And they've come on at the end of the season. But this, uh, we still think they're going to be in this position of having to take strategic penalties next season because we haven't seen the evidence that they can go through a whole season with the regulatory number of engines. Okay, I'm going to class that as a medium save, Chris. A medium save, because it is a good point that, that Red Bull have had to pick their battles and pick their fights. If they get into a proper title fight, that's a luxury they're not going to have. Well, it depends what you mean by three-way fight, really, because I look at it as the championship. Yes, that's, uh, that's what I meant, the championship. Yeah, okay, fine. In terms of the championship, right, they might be there at the beginning, but towards the end, they'll have taken too many penalties. Uh, okay, I think, actually, we can give you a partial pass there, Chris. I take back my my smug scorn that I clearly, that I clearly expressed earlier. Uh, let's just talk about the, uh, the Red Bull driver programme, though. Ah. Oh. That Red Bull, that Red Bull team with their, they treat their junior drivers like, like janitors. They're disposable, like giant strawberries. They treat their drivers like the black bits in the licorice all sorts, just throw them away. Oh, except they had three of them on the podium in the last race with three different teams. Say what you like about the driver program. It does bring drivers into F1, Chris. It's got a great history. Of, of bringing drivers into F1 and giving them a chance. Might not have given them all the chance in the world. But look at Gasly. Everyone was moaning that Gasly had been hung out to dry and kicked out after six months. Well, it was a whole six months of not getting good results. But they didn't kick him out of F1. He's in their junior team. He's given every opportunity to fight. And he ends up finishing second place. An, an incredible second place uh, on on the podium. And then you've got signs, another Red Bull junior on the podium behind him with a different team. Did did anyone complain about Gasly being demoted? I think we all thought that was fairly justified. Oh, we, we did, but, you know, <laughs> the internet. We did. I don't remember that. No, no, we, we... Cast me out of that. <laughs> no, we thought it was fair enough. I certainly thought it was fair enough. Six times... Imagine a striker not scoring a goal for six months in the Premier League, he would get booted, you know, back out on loan very quickly. But the internet felt that it was very harsh. And it kind of added to this narrative that the, the drivers in Red Bull was a churn, you know, Al Gashwari. Uh, basically, let's just start naming the, the Formula E grid. But in reality, <laughs> the, the, uh, Matt, go on. Yeah, it's Vern and, and Buemi and Al Gashwari is why everyone has this impression of of them being so, so harsh and destroying their junior drivers. But I think if you look at the reality of it, which I know I will boringly do now, I think the reality of it, they have changed their ways and they are much more supportive than they previously were uh, back when that all happened. Sometimes we, I think we approach uh, Formula One from a driver's point of view when we talk about it as fans. But uh, if you're a team, you have to approach it from a, a team point of view because that's how you get all your money. That's how you win. So if imagine if we didn't know anything about how Formula One has been up until now and we just turned it on and at each race they had a different driver. So you had a driver for the wet race. You had a driver for the small the city tracks. You had a driver for the fast ones. Etc. That should be their prerogative because that's how. If they, if it's the way to win, 
why not? I'm not saying it's the right way, but I, I think Red Bull is, uh, I think it's legit. I mean, if you're not making a point of being the best driver in the car for three races, why not try another one? Uh, Jensen uh, Button recently said on his Beyond the Grid interview that Perez was really good at the front limited tracks, but not so good on the rear or, or the other way around. So can you imagine that where you have a, like in NFL, you have a specialist kicker. So you have Perez, right? It's it's Bahrain, it's rear limited, on you go, Sergio. I, I don't know. If you had three car teams, Christian, if we got a bit more inventive with our F1 grid, uh, three car teams was muted a few seasons ago. You could have stuff like that, couldn't you? The third car could be for your specialist driver. And I think it would spice up things. Also, I think it would kill kill the vibe we have with uh, our favorite driver. I like this driver. I like this driver. And I, I think that's why Formula One is so big because you have this guy. He's supposed to be the fastest guy in the world. And I root for him every Sunday. And that's how you engage. You don't engage with the Silver Star or, or, or the Red Bull drink or anything like that. But uh, So I think it's the right way we do it right now. But also, I think you're... you're if you're limiting yourself by not thinking those thoughts, I think you're going wrong about it. Definitely in the past, Red Bull have just kind of flung their drivers um, out of Formula and, and out to dry. Yeah. Um, but Wemi and Vern were the two big ones where you would think, well, I don't really think that's entirely um, justified. Um, Al Gashwari, you could maybe forgive because I think six months later, he had to give up racing altogether because of um, illness. Um, but uh, and it, I think he's a DJ now. Actually, in terms of the drivers they're producing now, it's really, really strong. But let's not forget that a year ago there was this big black yeah. hole for for Toro Rosso, for example, where they ended up bringing back drivers from the, their old uh, pool that they previously kicked out, and Albon is one of them. Yeah. Okay. So you think it's uh, brighter in the future for the Red Bull program? When I look at the youngsters they have in, in Formula 3, for example, there are some exciting guys in there, okay. like Yuri Vips, for example. He's a very exciting driver. Excellent. And just in the chat there, I'll just go quickly back to Honda. Brian Venable says, you guys seem to ignore Honda's progress. Red Bull would be nowhere if Honda hadn't made their gains. I, I hope we didn't come across as ig- ignoring the Honda contribution. In fact, I'm feeling much more optimistic about that Red Bull-Honda partnership, uh, it, it very much feels like Honda, sorry, Red Bull, have got that works-Honda relationship that McLaren wanted. So, you know, they're probably right. And thank you, Lettuce. Thanks, McLaren, for, for breaking the seal on that. Uh, we've got it from here. Thank you very much. I'll tell you why Red Bull make better use of it is because they actually compromised with Honda. They actually had the discussion with her. What do you need to make your engine better from us? What can we do to help? And they actually responded and they listened and then they did it. Unlike McLaren for three years. Oh, good point here from Dr. Vidigiem. Honda juniors are now eligible for Toro Rosso as well. So that opens up uh, the youth ranks a bit more. Yeah, Honda's juniors are not quite as exciting. Not going to lie. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, let's move then away from Red Bull for just a second, just to pay some lip service to this year's world champions, McLaren. Oh, that's a ba- that's a howler. That's a howler. I can't. Normally, I would never talk over the bumper, but we would, I'm just a bit too optimistic about McLaren 2021, Matt. 
Uh, I thought you were talking about the 2008 replay that Sky showed. That, so it would have made sense. Ah, that's what I need. That's right. We have always been at war with Eurasia. That is indeed what I was talking about. Uh, no, Mercedes without Wolf. Uh, we we touched on it in our race review uh, in the... the the approach to the strategy seemed different. And actually, James Allison gave an interview in which he was very frank and open about it. And you can really see the difference in the the mentality of Mercedes. Like, they just, they don't have that same fear to come out and say, oh, we made this mistake here, and that's why this happened, and next time we'll do that. It's not a heads-will-roll organisation at all, is it? It's a, we will absolutely try our best, and if it didn't go well, we'll, we'll analyse it. But... Because of that, we got a really cool breakdown of where exactly the Mercedes tactics went wrong last weekend. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, like, I know they say they went wrong. But, I mean, really, if I look at that race, what I see is they did not have a fast enough car to win. And they wound up betting the farm on being able to win with that late pit stop. And it wound up costing them a podium. And so... You look at that as being like, okay, maybe that's a breakdown in strategic thinking, except for they've won the constructors and they've won the driver's championship. So what do they need another podium for? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it, I, I'm not sure where they're going with it. And I'm sure it all felt very different to them because people were wearing different hats in, yeah. the, in the garage, but I don't see it. So the the championship being wrapped up was a big factor. Hamilton said something along the lines of, had that been a, still a championship deciding race, he would have waited behind Albon, settled for second place. But in this race, he was gloves off and he was going for first place, trying to get Verstappen as well, which was always going to be ambitious. But for Alison, he was saying, uh, uh, sorry, just getting a touch of feedback there from one of you guys. Uh, just uh, maybe t- turn my volume down in your ears and then we'll get less feedback. Um, Alison was saying that really they were under pressure for the last pit stop gave Hamilton the wrong information, told him he would only lose one place when, in fact, it was two places. And and it, it's just an example of if Mercedes are put under more pressure and, as you say, just didn't overall have the car to compete, yet they were still, they were still pushing and gunning for the win. That's what I'd love to see in 2020. If there's more races where they're right on the edge like that, Matt, then we're going to see mistakes, not because they're terrible, but because they're having to go out of their comfort zone and they're just they're having to approach this in a more sporty way. And in sport, you make decisions, you choose tactics, and they don't always work. Yeah, and I think it's important. Um, I believe I was talking with Summers about this uh, offline, that the strategists, when they make calls like that, they are not all programmed into a computer. That's an actual person sitting there going, uh, do we pit? I have five seconds. Yes, we pit. I mean, that's how rapidly... And, and and they've got people talking in their ears while they do that. Very easy to see how these things can go wrong under those kinds of pressures. You guys have been carding, I've uh, heard in some of your podcasts. So, oh, we uh, mention it occasionally, Christian. Yeah, yeah, it comes up. Uh, maybe I just heard the two podcasts where we were talking about it. <laughs> um, so you guys know what happens when you sit in the cart. Uh, you don't think about anything but getting by the one in front of you. And I think as a racing team, you will be thinking like that as well all the time. But then when you are about to win a championship, maybe you will take that approach and just put it somewhere safe and think about it in a strategic way. But if you don't have to win anything uh, like a bigger picture, you will always go for the win, I think, as an instinct. 
in a racing team or as a driver. So that thing they did with Hamilton, I think it was full on and it was the only way to go. You're absolutely right. I, I loved watching it and we would be having a really different conversation if they hadn't gone for it. We'd be going, oh, it's a bit dull, Chris. Like, oh, you know, our oh, boring Mercedes. What are they up to? What I admire Mercedes for doing is, again, it, this is an odd season because Mercedes just dominated the first half of it. So they pretty much had the championship, you know, one hand on the trophy um, at that point. But after that, after the summer break, when Ferrari were competing for, for wins, you know, Lewis locked up behind a Ferrari, still aiming for that win. He could so happily just take the 18 points and still have a, a lovely lead in the championship because he'd still be outscoring Bottas as well. But he still wanted that win. And Mercedes still wanted that win. And I really admire that that tactic um, and, and that belief that, no, we can win this race. And it, it made them more exciting as well. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Uh, we have only two Brits on the panel. Who caught the Lewis Hamilton interview on the Graham Norton show? No, not just me. Oh, no. Right. Well, then that, that's less of a conversation. However, I will say the first reaction I had was, Ah, he wasn't. He was, all that build-up. He was only on it for about five minutes, I think, at the end. Uh, but there's, I think, there's there's a difference between Lewis Hamilton and those other guests. Those other guests are much more like freelancers. I think they had uh, Elizabeth Banks on there, Kylie Minogue, and Ricky Gervais, and they are people who are fully in charge of their own brand. They can just chew the fat. They can throw things out. Uh, Elizabeth Banks said some truly disgusting things, which were hilarious. Lewis Hamilton comes on and it's a completely different beast. Like Chris, like they clearly had their version of Chris Stevens had briefed him. He has to stick in his lane. It's very narrow. It was heavily edited. So you could see that the PR team had kind of had a word after the interview and said, let's just keep it to these points, these points, these points. It was really cold. It was really um, curated, Chris. And I think a driver isn't his own brand, is he? He's responsible to his, his team, his sponsors, et cetera, et cetera. 
I think Lewis is somewhat an exception to that rule because we know he does like to do his own thing, especially outside of Mercedes and outside of Formula One. So I think if, if you compare him to the other drivers on the grid, he's a slight exception. But at the same time, those rules will apply. You know, there'll be somebody from his PR team. I wouldn't be surprised if Mercedes just kind of kept an eye on what he was saying. Like, as an example, um, when uh, me and, and Brad went to the Race of Remembrance, there was press interest there. And I briefed him on what I thought he should say to the press before the interview and then gave him feedback afterwards. At a reasonable rate, I'm sure. Christian? I want to say Hamilton is is maybe a brand you can connect to Formula One, but he's his own brand as well, whereas most of the other drivers is is an actor within the brand of Formula One. Uh, But if you look at, at Ricciardo, for instance, he's he's one of the sub guys he's one of the big ones he's got a lot of followers he does his own thing all the time and i think it's it's up to hamilton to embrace how he want to do it and he he most of the time just does his thing i don't think of him or see him or think he comes across as someone who's limited by anything uh, i didn't see that graham norton thing though but no. uh that would be a shame, I think. I think it was just disappointing for F1 fans and Lewis Hamilton fans who were looking at the Graham Norton show, which is a very kind of open and relaxed format, and going, oh, Lewis Hamilton's going on that. Oh, this will be amazing to see him, like, kick his shoes off, get his loafers on, have a pint. But that's not what we saw. We, we, he was a very, it was a very good performance from Lewis Hamilton, but it was disappointing if that's what you were expecting. Could it just be, Christian, that Daniel Ricciardo in another life could have been uh you know in a in a sitcom he could have been an actor an entertainer whereas lewis hamilton just isn't that kind of character he's much more like he's very kind of focused he's very professional and maybe he's just not a natural like if he wasn't into formula one he wasn't necessarily going to go on stage it's a big talk, I think. But uh, generally, I see. I remember when Hamilton came came uh, came into Formula One, and uh, I know a few people of uh, the guys who's taking pictures and uh, at the racetracks, and and they they don't like him. Uh, I have been trying to figure out why uh, these people don't like them like him, and I think it's because sometimes he. He acts as if he's bigger than the brand, and they can't have that because they are part of the the family or whatever you say. So, so I think I think some of it is because of his upbringing and the way he when he started Formula One and racing. When suddenly he got the attention, he has been fighting for so hard during his teenage years. He just he didn't know what to do with it. Whereas someone like Ricciardo, he it's just natural for him. He he that's that's his fish. Uh, his water as a fish, whereas Hamilton has to had to act in a way when 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 he started getting exposure. Uh, well, Matt, I mean, you could argue that well, at first Lewis Hamilton wasn't bigger than a particular brand, but his own brand now. I mean, he has a billion Instagram people. He's uh, got a name for himself within fashion. In me- in many ways, without F one, he could still easily go on and and be a brand. A lot of drivers when they leave F one, we won't hear from them again. The the Hamilton brand could go on. It could do other things. Yeah, it could, and I suspect it will. Um, on the one hand, I think, you know, he had that thing where he was doing music, and then that kind of evaporated. And I think, uh, you know, there are people who I know are actors, and but they don't really like being in front of an audience. They're very good at acting, but they don't like being in front of an audience. They can do it for a while, but it's an effort for them, where for certain other people, 
they have to have the audience or they they they, they die. And and then the other thing, I think you may you may be onto it because I don't know if you saw he was on Letterman's uh, Netflix yeah, show. Yes, entirely different. It was. And he yeah. seemed so at ease yep. and charming. And I just wonder if, for whatever reason, he felt um, he didn't feel comfortable, and so he was tight as a result. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. That's a fantastic point. The the Letterman one uh, was completely completely different. Uh, okay. Uh, enough, uh, enough TV tittle tattle, and on to some much less relevant stuff. Uh, Matt and I have been experimenting with a new podcast format. Welcome to the shed. Generally, me and Matt just like to waffle with each other. We like to have a chat. We like to have a catch up. We do do the patron podcast here, which is a mix between F one and Dad Hub. Uh, that often strays into the absolutely absurd. So you can uh, sign on at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex for the Patreon podcast, uh, which is a waffle cast. <clears throat> However, we've tried to do a, a, a more grown-up version of that, haven't we, Matt? Welcome to the shed. We have a bit of a chat, then we get a, a great blogger in to come and talk to us. Yeah, a, a little bit of an expert. We learn some new stuff about things that we're interested in, and and we just have a good conversation. It's like podcasting, isn't it? So my hope is, here's my hope, is that people who like me and Matt, you know, obviously not the people who just come on here to yell at me on YouTube, uh, shout out to you guys, uh, but the the hope is that people who like listening to us talking about F1 might want to hear our opinions on the world in general. So no topic in specific. Matt and I just chat for a bit, catch up with each other's lives, and then we bring in great bloggers like uh, Liam Taylor was fantastic, the guitarist guy. You and him had yeah. uh, had some great. It was good because I I know he's a really good, interesting musician, but you can actually talk the same language as him and actually interpret for me. Yeah, well, and, and that's what's fun. It was nice to have. Um, was it Cockney in the countryside? Oh yes, crazy the absolutely right? bonkers Cockney in the countryside, Michelle Davy. Yeah. Yeah, because I've been running and she actually had useful and interesting things to say about how I could be even better at that. Good. So I'm hoping we'll get enough of a positive reaction. Uh, if you want to go and find uh, Welcome to the Shed on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice, do feel free to leave us a review or just email me spannersready at gmail.com and give us the, the energy and the, the prod to continue doing those shows. There's three up there for you right now. Go and find Welcome to the shed. Matt, every now and then in the notes, you, you, you do a show title that completely distracts me. I've just looked into the document now and I, I've seen the title Fuel Me Once. <laughs> so I, I assume we're going to talk about the, the fact that the FIA have seized three fuel flow systems from Formula One cars. That's a lot of Fs. That is, and very well pronounced, if I do say so myself. Uh, yeah, so this is a follow-up to the previous technical directives um, that may or may not have affected Ferrari's performance because these have all come about, I believe, as a complaint of Red Bull to the FIA with information gathered by Mercedes. Make of that what you will. Um, and the latest iteration, the round of it, uh, had to do with uh, the potential to pool fuel, a mass fuel on the other side of the fuel flow meter so that you could put more into the engine for brief periods for better power and acceleration. 
can I just interrupt you there, Matt, just to clarify something? Because one of the, the strangest and most intriguing parts of this story was it, I, I didn't feel like it was a direct response to a specific complaint from a team. In fact, Red Bull came out and said, we did our technical directives, so we issued our... And it is, it's the teams that issue the technical directives, not the FIA. So Red Bull issued a technical directive saying, can we do this thing? And it was related with the, can we disrupt the sensors by increasing electrical noise? No, obviously not. Now let's see if any of the other teams are doing it. And then the other one, I believe, uh, was uh, in line with um, pooling fuel in the fuel system, nearabouts where the intercooler is between the fuel system and the explodey bit. Technical terms. I was an engineer. Uh, so they issued those. But then after Brazil, they said, no, we're, we're, we're out. We've, we've said everything that we want to say. Mercedes know more than us. We're gone. And Mercedes, being a team that's won the championship and has better things to do, did not issue a complaint. So for me, one of the most intriguing aspects of this story is that the FIA themselves have taken it upon themselves to pursue this further. Yeah, and one can only presume that there may have been some carping behind the scenes. Oh, yes. Perhaps pointed a different direction, and much like a parent will do with squabbling children, say, fine, give it to me. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end of that. Uh, So the interesting thing will be, we heard from our favorite Automotor Unsport that it was Ferrari, uh, Ferrari customer team, and another team, for comparison's sake, it is to be presumed. Uh, but the, the FIA also uh, went back to oil burning and said, everyone on the grid will now give us all of the all of their lubricants and oils and specifications, and we will be checking from now on because it is not permissible to leak any combustible substance into the engine in order to improve performance. So we've we've had it's just sort of like all of the complaints we've heard. Suddenly the FIA has said, "Nope, you don't need to file a protest. We're tired of hearing about it. It's making us look bad." I think in the papers. Okay. And so they are like, "We're going to forestall any more of this." Okay, fair enough. And some of the chat room are saying the teams can't issue technical directives, so perhaps we're getting some terminology mixed up. But certainly the challenges that we saw between Mexico and Austin were certainly issued by Red Bull. And the second one was issued by Honda. Christian, do I have a reasonable handle on that? That is perfectly. Uh, I think that's uh, how it works. But the, 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 the technical directive is issued by the FIA, but it's issued on basis of a comment from a team or an official approach of some sort. Then they have to. Uh, okay. Uh, technical directive and i wish those technical directives would be open to public because that would eliminate all this going back and forth basically uh i've had this conversation with summers for several years now it's the most frustrating thing uh, because you know the rules of football when you watch football but in formula one so much of what's being done is on the basis of these technical directives that no one ever sees some of which i think is probably for intellectual property reasons because they they do get into that, but they could dumb them down enough for us to understand what's going on behind the scenes, and that really matters. You you could argue that as soon as the car hits the track, it can no longer be uh, secret to anyone. You have to open be open about everything that is on the track. If you go about it that way, that would be that would open up technical directors, basically. 
Anyway, very interesting that the FIA have, have taken control of this process. So the various conspiracy theories are, uh, A, as you stated, Matt, they've looked at everything, all the complaints on their merit and gone, right, we're going to get a hold of this right now. Which, as someone who has argued for the case that Ferrari probably was up to something probably pooling or a combination of pooling and defeating the censors, although back to the censors in just a moment, you would go, well, taking the taking the fuel systems now after three races of not having that quality advantage isn't really that useful, but I guess they've got to do something. You could say that this is a PR exercise because the, the FIA value Ferrari and they don't want their brand Ferrari brand being dragged through the mud. So you go, okay, we brought the stuff in. We didn't find anything. Everyone shut up and move on. And that's actually quite valid. That's like the parent version of like, right, all of you go on the naughty step. Now shut up. Here's the rules. Let's carry on. And that's what they've done in a way because they've issued this thing that they now need a second fuel sensor. More on that in just a second. Or the other option is that this is, and I, and I think this is actually the theory I'm going to go with now, my working theory, is that Massey... Is, is in charge this season. He suffered some very, very severe early season pressure, wobbled under that pressure. And this is just a guess from me. This is just a guess from me putting things together. And then as the season has gone on, he's grown into that role and gone, actually, do you know what? I'm, I'm in the big chair here. Like, I'm the big boss man. So tell you what, let's, let's actually have a look into what you're doing. Let's get a grip of this. It might be too late for some of the other stuff, but from now on, I'm the boss and here's what we're going to do. And what Massey has said is, you now have to put a second fuel sensor between the fuel tank and the explodey bit, which I'm stunned at, Matt. I cannot believe it. In all the conversations we had about defeating the sensors with electrical noise, I had just had an assumption in my head after Red Bull 2014 with the expanding hose pipe that allowed them to pull more fuel past the fuel flow sensor so they could pull it off throttle and then have more power down the straights. I thought they would have closed that loophole right there and then in 2014. So to find out now that there's only one fuel flow sensor out of the fuel tank, I was frankly stunned. Yeah, it has been that way. Um, and I actually uh, took the liberty of reaching out to Summers and say, well, you know, second sensor. And his re response was, oh, well, you know, uh, they will just cheat that one too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Formula One. It's how it's done, kids. No, fair you enough. may not like it. But, but I think the point is that we were assuming that there was a second sensor to defeat. But if there isn't a second sensor, if all they've got to do is make it safely through the fuel tank one, so fuel pump, out the fuel tank, goes past the sensor, that fuel flow, I'm happy with that. That opens up the whole rest of the system. If you look at the pictures of the fuel pipes, which we have been doing and intercoolers and such like, because we've been arguing about it for like three weeks, there's plenty of silicone fittings and silicone joins that can expand and allow pooling. I, I'm just really surprised to find out that they had not clamped down on that, Christian. It gives good reason to just get rid of the fuel flow altogether. Away we go. Full flow, full flow all the time, all you want. You have 100 litres. Go ahead. That would be interesting for quality, though, wouldn't it? Because it would mean that for qualifying, you would have like hundreds more horsepower than you would during the race. But the, but, but the, whole, the whole idea about this hybrid thing was of naturally to, to follow the, uh, of how everything develops within engines and stuff, but also to keep down uh, fuel. But why? It's, 
and it's motor racing. So, and it's so little fuel anyways. So it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, this time, uh, the, 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 the combustion engine is more than 50% efficient, which, uh, from the start of 2014 until now improved almost a hundred percent, uh, because of the hybrid engines in Formula One. Imagine if we could have that impact on other stuff. Uh, I think that's absolutely key. The the fuel, the amount of fuel you use is is almost irrelevant because it's a performance sport. So obviously more energy into the system is going to mean more performance. You've hit the nail on the head there. The hybrid element of it is the key thing because that means you're not wasting the energy you choose to use. And now actually the thought of buying a car now that doesn't have a hybrid element just seems really weird. You spend all that energy pushing yourself forward and then you've got all that energy happening as you slow yourself down and you're not going to do anything. You're not going to, you're not going to steal some of that energy back. So yeah, the hybrid, Matt, is that the focus? Whereas we got very distracted by blowing up dead dinosaurs is bad. Look at us. We are burning less dead dinosaurs. Aren't we great? Yeah, and and if we get to uh, my favorite story of the day, we'll talk more about that. Uh, fundamentally, the hybrid, the thing to me that's interesting is they're not opening up more room for the ERs and for the electrics to do more for the car during the lap. You'd think that would be the place you'd really want to start, is allowing for more of that to happen. It's been one of my biggest complaints about this current spec of power unit, is that it's only 33 seconds of the lap you could do so much more and it's only 160 horsepower that is a pitiful amount of power when you think about it it's less than 20 percent of the car's uh, ultimate power you could so easily bung an extra 100 horsepower on that and for context let me give it so a, a formula e car has about 370 brake horsepower in full power qualifying mode and the LMP one cars in their peak back when it was Audi Porsche and, and versus Toyota, they were churning out 500 horsepower just from the hybrid system and then throw on another 500 horsepower from the ICE. There is so much more scope for the hybrid element of this power unit. Mm, that's a lot of numbers there. And since I, I, since I've already partially tuned out, this seems like the perfect opportunity to pile in and get Matt's terrible topic out of the way. I will let you in the chat room be the arbiter. Matt says this is a vital topic. He says this is the most important topic of the show. But I looked in the show notes, I saw the show title and I went, really? Can it, can it really be? So before I fall asleep, let me squeeze in that you should follow the show at Missed Apex F1. We have a Facebook group as well. So search for Missed Apex Podcast on Facebook. In YouTube, you can subscribe to us. You can join us in the live chat as well. And if you want to follow the people on the show, you can follow me at Spanners Ready. Matt at MattPT55 and his wife who sells books at A Weaver Writes. Do, do that. They're good books and they will help Matt achieve his dream of owning a Ferrari, doing less work and being able to do more stuff for Missed Apex podcast. Chris Stevens used to have the worst Twitter handle on the planet, but he buckled. He buckled like a weak playground nerdling to peer pressure because it had an underscore in it. He has now changed it to at Chris on racing. 
I had to change it because I wasn't a journalist anymore. Yeah, we say that. You say that, but it's a lie. Uh, Christian Pedersen, your name is uh, inexplicably spelled because you're Danish. So a lot of the letters are like joined together and there's dots above them. And basically your name is a mess of sounds. But you have anglicized it for us. Christian Pedersen, where can we find you? Uh, I Actually, I, I, I used to just say my, I have an Instagram, but never mind. That's not F1 related. But actually, the other day I saw Kevin Magnuson was uh, tagged in one of my posts. So wow. now it's related. So I'm going to show it here. I'm not sure if you can see this. No, holding your phone never works at all to the thing. Everyone tries it. It's N-O-T-K-R-E-D-E-P. N-O-T-K-R-E-A-D. D-E-P. What am I I doing? It's a podcast. You can just wind back 10 seconds to find out where to follow Christian. I don't mind if people plug their personal things at all. It's as much about the people as it is the irrelevant and often inaccurate F1 conversation that we have. I'm an Instagram now. I did an Instagram. That's that's how you say that, Chris. Can I can I please give an insight into no. what it was like trying to teach spanners how to use Instagram story? Okay. <laughs> My god, first of all he didn't even know like how to do it. No. I had no idea. So he goes on the home screen and he's like, what do I do now? Yeah, I I, I took a screenshot of the Instagram home screen. I posted it to Chris. I'm like, what button do I press? And so Chris had to like send back images with like an arrow drawing in. Press this now, grandpa. And like you took me through it step by step and I appreciate it. But I did an Instagram story. It took me ages. And then I'm devastated to find out it only lasts for 24 hours. Yeah, what did you think it was going to... You can archive them and then you could... So this is going to blow his mind, right? <laughs> so you can archive them yeah. and put them in a little sort of album. At, at album. Album. You can put them in album. <laughs> That's when okay. you, oh, you've been in F1 for too long. Yeah, F1 uh, fan then, fiction. Okay. In an Not album at all. And put them at the at the top of your profile. Uh, okay. None of this is going going through. The, the long and the short of it is... Uh, Chris helped me do an Instagram. So you can now follow me on Instagram. I'm Spanners Ready on there. I will make an effort to post pictures and stories and things. It was quite fun. I might do it again. Okay, so Matt's incredibly dull headline is Volkswagen exits uh, internal combustion engine, motorsports, all of them. So I don't care. Okay. What did Volkswagen do? Make cars. Yeah. In terms of Formula One. Nothing. What happens if Mercedes, Renault, and so on, Honda, yeah. decide that they're going to have to follow along so they don't lose all their shareholder value? Wait a minute. Are you saying that Volkswagen could start a domino effect where because they will not go in... And when we say ICE motorsports, internal combustion engine motorsports, what you're saying is even F1 is a hybrid series, that would they don't want any internal combustion engine components they will only race in in all electric motorsports of which as far as i know there's a handful a couple yeah uh, to be clear about this uh this is their factory efforts so they're shutting down all of their factory efforts now customer teams will still will still be taken care of so if you were a vw customer who's racing like a touring car or a rally car they will still take care of you but the factory efforts from VW themselves, which would be comparable to, like, say, the Mercedes effort in Formula One, those are done. And let's remind ourselves that both Audi and Porsche are underneath the Volkswagen 
corporate umbrella. So these are some potentially larger dominoes that we're talking about. Now, okay, hang on, stop you there. Sorry, stop you there. That Now that doesn't seem as big. Now that you've said they can still provide support, basically they could go to Red Bull if Honda dropped out and said, all right, we've got this great, let's, not for F1, it's going to be for some like WEC or something. They can say, well, we can provide this power unit for you. And, oh, by the way, please use our drivers. <laughs> it's in all but name, it's going to be a VW outfit. No, because it's customer. It'd be like Haas saying we're a Ferrari outfit. Well, you have a Ferrari power unit, but you're not a you're not Ferrari. If you understand what I'm saying, but I'm I'm getting to the bit that I think um, matters more is that if I go through and Google say uh, Mercedes profits 2019. What I see is, oh, they're going to get rid of 10% of their work staff because their profits are down and they've messed up their introduction of electric cars. If I go to Honda, I see that they have a sales outlook that's at a four years low. They're having a $950 million buyback of shares, but bleak business in both India and its main market of North America. In fact, of all of the Japanese car companies, only Toyota is doing well at the moment and making their forecasts. And Renault, we have previously discussed, all of these manufacturers are facing some pretty stiff headwinds right now as we're talking about signing up for 2021 and forward. In fact, many people have said that giving engines to McLaren is a real signal that Mercedes as a works team may be done as of 2021. Oh, that subject's got legs. We we will we will uh, loop back around to that. Maybe not in this show, but certainly over the off season. However, uh, Chris, Christine says this is a bad topic. There's a few people interested here as well. But Brippy Chris says uh, th- this is just a PR move. What's what's your take, Chris? Um, I don't know about PR move. I think every decision that a conglomerate like Volkswagen will make is in some way influenced by how it's going to look. Uh, And I think that's just a a fact, but you have to wonder what's in it for them to continue with ICE pursuits. Uh, They have, uh, they, they built the, um, Oh, I forget what it's called though. The one that's been smashing lap records at Pikes peak and, and uh, the Nordschleife um, that's been doing wonderfully. And that's the Avenue they want to pursue. Oh, so then maybe, Christian, this is like Mark Webber, no options in F1, starts going, well, WEC was always better anyway. Is this what Volkswagen are doing? You know, like, well, we're not having any substantial success, therefore we're taking our football home and where we're going, that direction, that's the real good direction. I think there's a few elements to it, but the the main one would be you you have to be in motorsport to to be relevant on all areas if you're a big car uh, car company. But something happened between Volkswagen Group and Bernie in the 90s, maybe early zeros. I'm not sure what it was, but Volkswagen Group wouldn't go into Formula 1 as long as Bernie was there. And then this new trend started, and as they point out in the comments as well, the, the diesel gate. So which choices are they left with? If you look at it from that perspective in the Volkswagen Group, they can't go to the, the main class. Uh, the one that is uh, up and coming is the electricity uh, and they have to turn down tone down the, the activities they have in the groups that doesn't really look like they will survive so I think this is maybe the only way to go for a Volkswagen group I would love to see them in Formula 1 though and let's 
look at it from a from a manufacturer's uh, point of view. You go racing uh, because you end up feeding that back into your road car division, right? In ten years, there aren't going to be new ICE cars on the road. They're going to. I can't specifically remember the law that behind it now in in Europe, but it's going to be all electric by like twenty thirty. So what's the point in continuing development of uh, of a propulsion system that's going to be outlawed in ten years? I, I, I'm not sure we are right about the electricity because uh, diesel right now is uh, is looking like maybe it could be more efficient in the big uh, perspective uh, than electricity because you have to look at how it's manufactured. That's how, new. What's the cost? If you look at the the entire uh, picture, how much does it cost to to build this? How many miles do you have to sail it in big uh, cargo ships? Fly this and this, blah, 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 blah. The end result uh, could be diesel is as efficient as electricity or maybe even more. I'm not saying we're going to have uh, Formula One diesel cars, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we are all in this electricity hype. And I'm not sure this is the, 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 the right way to go yet. Yet is very important, Trumpets. Yeah, it is, because this is the kicker. I mean, you talk about what VW did, and it's like playing poker. If we're playing poker, and I look at you, and I go, all in, I've now forced a decision on you. And that's advantage me. You can choose to play, or you can choose to bail. And that's what these other manufacturers will be looking at. But with regards to Formula One, there is one thing that they're talking about that is very interesting. And that's the advanced fuels they're talking about running in the car, specifically what, what they call e-benzene or synthetic petroleum, where essentially you take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, synthesize it into a combustible fuel that you could put into any car. So not like biofuels, not like ethanol, where you have to have special engines. You could just put it in your current road car And then you're only releasing carbon dioxide that you've already pulled out of the atmosphere. And there's no more digging up of dead dinosaurs and adding to our carbon dioxide debt. Now, this is something that Formula One is talking about doing. Problem for them is the current people who are most into it are Audi. They have a factory and they are making the stuff, but they are not involved in Formula One. So there are some ongoing talks about how they're going to map it. If I'm a manufacturer... This is the one reason I might stay. Well, Matt, I, the jury is out, literally the jury uh, in, in, in the chat room, and you are getting some support. So I shall yield to, I don't want to call them the nerdiest of our listeners who come and watch us on the live stream, but you, you have, you, you know you're nerds, we're all nerds, uh, but you, you have their admiration, Matt. Yes, well, thank you. And, and I'm sorry I didn't get the chance to talk about Andy Cowell, um, AMG HPP, and the 0.6 three-cylinder diesel engine that he blue-skied one day, because that interview was a long time ago, but it also fascinated me. Does this mean you get to talk about tires now? Uh, no, I mean, the music's going, we're on to our Abu Dhabi review. Uh, actually, no, I think we can't go too much further without talking about the 2020 tires, because there is going to be a race, and then there's going to be this test, and there was a lot of grumbling about the 2020 tires. We did go into it into some detail. Could you give us, like, a 60-second update on whether we're just going to throw the baby out with the bathwater because on a cold afternoon on a soggy pitch in Slough, 
they decided that the tyres weren't suitable. Yes, indeed, I'd be happy to. So to update you, the test at Coda was terrible, the weather was terrible, none of the teams liked the tyres. So they've kicked this decision to Abu Dhabi, and if seven teams decide together they don't like the tires, we will simply continue to have the tires we had this year. So we can assume, for example, that Mercedes and its customers will probably vote to keep these tires because Mercedes seems to have a fairly big advantage with these tires. Christian Horner was most vociferous in hating on the tires, so we can assume that he and Toro Rosso as well will be against them. Ferrari, on the other hand, have suffered mightily with these tires, and they probably want new ones, along with Haas and Alpha, who may or may not care, but take Ferrari engines and will do whatever they do. And that leaves us with Renault being the deciding vote. And I put it to you that whatever works worse for McLaren is probably what they will go for, if I'm being honest. Because if they want to do anything next year, it's they want to beat the pants off of McLaren, their customer team, as they are the factory works team. Chris, I think Pirelli changing the tyres is having more of an effect on Formula One than some of the technical changes that have been made recently to the series. Because, now I know Matt's laughing, but beyond the uh, the front wing changes, what was the, the biggest deciding factor in Mercedes taking uh, eight 1-2 finishes in the first nine races of this season? Just the tyres. And I don't necessarily agree. Is it 100% a fact that Ferrari had been struggling with, with the tyres or was it just the car was just not up to scratch and actually it wasn't really tyre related? If we keep it consistent, maybe we'll actually get a decent championship for once. Well, I, I need to just jump in to make sure I want to know exactly why you were laughing at, at Chris. If there's an opportunity to, to humiliate Chris, we need to take it now before we move on. I'm just thinking, how long have I been preaching this and finally someone listened? Oh, well, at least one of us, at least one of us listens. Uh, I don't like the fact that that the teams have such a big say, although it is quite a high margin. So for seven teams to have to get involved to to veto, is it is it a veto, Matt, to veto it's what Pirelli are yeah. doing? That, that, that's kind of good because seven teams, seven tenths of the grid does say, oh, wow, there's a significant, there's, if it was one team to veto, then you would have people just messing things up because they just want the most chaotic thing. But if these tyres are bad, and I think the badness thing was that they were not turning on, the aim is that we want them to not overheat and we want the operating window to be bigger, but in the test in Austin, they weren't getting turned on, so nobody liked the performance. So, I mean, if I was Williams, Haas, uh, Racing Point, I'll take that. I'll take that. If you've got a tyre that's not turning on and is a little bit random and is introducing a, a really difficult element, I'll roll the dice. Why not? Because I don't have the engineering staff to master it. And and as we've uh, learned from talking to Carter, and the teams that are engine customer teams will almost certainly wind up doing whatever Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull tell them to do. That leaves McLaren, who's got a Mercedes deal for 21, so I'm going to put them into the sphere of influence. And regardless... If I was McLaren, do I want to change these tires? No, I'm doing fantastic with these tires. I want them to stay the same. That just leaves you really uh, Renault as the deciding vote because you've accounted for all the rest. This might end this uh, talk about tires, uh, courtesy of Spanners. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, 
um, but I think it's a shame we have to talk this much. I think maybe it's 20, 25% of the, uh, the race talk is always about tires. And these tires are built by someone who's not one of the 10 teams. They should be, they should be a non-factor. They yeah. should be, they should not be this, uh, uh, they shouldn't have this effect, basically. If they, yeah. We should never talk about the tires, then the tires would be perfect. So I agree to a point. So from my point of view, I, if, we, if we can turn the tires on and the teams can get into the operating window and use the tires as intended, that's fine. But it's effectively like having a TV and you can't find the channels at the moment. So Haas can't find the channels, let alone select the ones they want to use. If all the teams can get the tires working and we stop talking about that, then I'm happy. If I'm, I'm more than happy for the, the different compounds to be a factor and I'm more than happy for the FIA to use Pirelli to dictate how tactics uh, will, will go. So I, I'm fine with, oh, we go to Barcelona and we have much more hard-wearing tyres, like the, the, sorry, much more fast-wearing tyres so that we can generate some strategy. But when we go to somewhere with a really high wear, I cannot think of a single one now, uh, then we'll, we can have harder tyres and we can dictate the tactics from that. I'm happy for the tyres to be talked about from a tactical point of view because, oh my goodness, if you just said, let's just have the best possible race tyre and you never have your change your tyres, I think now... You could have space age tires that could be super grippy for a thousand laps. You could probably do that. It's not going to make the the best racing. But Christian's right. When it starts becoming a case of we physically can't get these tires to work, that's when it becomes bad. It becomes boring. It becomes negative. Well, of course, back in two thousand and five, there used to be no stops for tires. You ran a single set for the whole race, and there's a reason that rule only lasted a year. Um, but <laughs> It is true. Like, why do we talk about tires so much beyond the tactical point of view? I'm on board with you there, Spanners. But the the level to which we end up banging on about tires, like, imagine if we spent an equal amount of time talking about the company that creates the wiring looms for all the teams on the grid. Oh man! Right now you're in my wheelhouse. Oh man! As, a, <laughs> as an ex radar, as an ex radar engineer, I can talk wiring looms all day long but instead instead of that let's talk about Abu Dhabi is it a dead rubber we have one more race left in what has been a fantastic Formula 1 season is it a complete dead rubber Chris Stevens what battles are left for us to look at in Abu Dhabi um at the front not so much. Um, if I remember rightly, I mean, uh, Ferrari has secured second place in the constructors' championship now. Congratulations just, to Ferrari uh, on, that up. on achieving that. Well done. Yeah, it's real, real good when they had two drivers show up for this season, wasn't it? Um, no, I think uh, this season finale is going to be more just kind of going for broke. Uh, a bit, it's, it's more for honor than anything else, and I think it's an honor that's going to go to Mercedes. Traditionally, they have run extremely well at this circuit because it's it's got so many different characteristics in each of the three sectors. Like the first sector is just one medium speed corner, basically, uh, and then you've got some low speed corners leading on to some nice straights, and then a very technical end to do, that. Do you hate this circuit like everyone I else do. seems to? Do you want you, you? Okay, so I, I've got the feeling I'm going to be completely alone. 
when I have played these game these tracks on computer games, which is the extent of my F1 experience, the 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 Abu Dhabi track has always been one of the ones I've really liked. And then when all the cool kids started saying, oh, it's terrible, it's a Tilkadrome, it's the worst, I had to be like super quiet and go, oh, yeah, no, I hate it too. But for me, the, the Sector 1, where you've got that, you obviously got the left-hander, then you've got a really interesting right-hand turn with undulation, and then it comes down into a really hard, heavy braking point into that bus it's stop. It's just flat out. It, it's, well, okay, well, that might be a car issue, but it's a spectacular it's a well-designed piece of track. And then the, the two the two long drags with stopping areas do create overtaking. They do create action. So what, what I don't know the problem people have with that big double straight. Because in the real world, it doesn't work. It's all very well and good doing it on a computer game, but on the F1 games, you can even get a good race at Sochi, for Christ's sake. Wow, hang on so- a minute. Wait a minute. On the racing games, you have the racing line on, so you have a very skewed... View. So what? I'm not a games. racing driver. Yeah. Why should I know? But imagine just like a Call of Duty, but it just pulls the target onto <laughs> where you, onto the per, onto the baddie. That's what you're to be doing. Fair, I never. I very rarely actually g- let it guide me. Um, but I just I, no. Well, I'm you definitely should. That's anyway. That, that is literally what the racing line is there for: is to guide you. That is the first mistake you're making. All right. Anyway. Uh, in reality, this circuit doesn't work because of the, the concertina effect. That car coming off of that hairpin that goes onto the back straight is always going to pull off such an advantage. And the straight just isn't long enough for you to, to catch that, that back up, even with the stupid DRS. So it doesn't produce great racing, in, in my opinion. Uh, maybe not great racing, but last year we had upside down Hulkenberg on fire after he flew through the air. Oh, so, I mean, that wow. is a thing. And besides which, there are plenty of things to be decided. Uh, for example, we have Alfa Romeo, after their amazing last race, are only 10 points back of Racing Point. And we have Toro Rosso, nine points from Renault. And that's going to be worth, uh, you know, more than a fistful of cash. And that's before we even get to the drivers. Well, see, here's the thing. Depending on which way you look at it, the Formula B title is kind of still up for grabs. If you do uh, what I do, actually, because it's an autosport thing, the autosport has done this year as a kind of section of championship, is that they just remove Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes from the mix. Yeah. And so whoever is the first of everyone else, they get 25 points, and then second of that, they'll get 80. I like so that it's one. run as if it's yeah. that kind of championship. Yeah. If you look at it that way, science has walked it um, <laughs> this year. But in the real world... It's it's actually incredibly close between Science and Gasly, which I think just kind of proves we need to look at the point system, really. But uh, beyond that, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I thought you were going to say, if you do that auto sport thing where you go and look at the chart where all the points are listed, you'll see that Gasly and Signs are on the same number of points, 95, exactly, which is going to be a thing to watch during the race. And then we also have Raikkonen at 43, Norris at 45, and Perez at 46. So... I'd say there's a little bit to pay attention to in this race. I agree with Spanners. I like this track. Uh, it looks uh, looks beautiful from the sky. I think driving it in real, I have some friends who've actually driven there, and it's it's a cool racing track. Uh, the first sector as well, I love that. I like the last sector as well, even though it's a little bit 90 degrees all the way, but it just has something to it. I've been driving it a lot in, uh, in, in sim as well, and it's always enjoyable in, in sim, even though it has this 
such a vibe around it. It's it doesn't feel like that driving it. I see. But I have three things I look forward to uh, this weekend. One album on podium, album on the podium. That would be such a nice thing, ending the the season off. Norris either podium or double figures points. I think those two guys. Yeah, because he looks a bit sad at the moment, doesn't he, Lando? Yeah, he does, uh, and he has no reason to be. He's such a he's a nice human being, and he's a very talented racing driver. The last thing I would really like to see is uh, Raikkonen doing that uh, Ferrari roller coaster again. I missed that. What's that? Uh, they have like this Ferrari land, which oh, is okay. by Ferrari, and they have a roller coaster which goes it accelerates at the the same speed as the Formula One car. And he actually did it when he was um, when he was driving the Ferrari. All oh, right. And, so unimpressed, so I would just <laughs> like to do that again, basically. I can't believe that I haven't got a personal handwritten invitation to Ferrari land. It's unbelievable. Chris Stevens. Last word on the circuit. It's like Le Castellet, Paul Ricard. Great testing facility, terrible racetrack. I, I actually, sec- sector three is my least favourite because it gets quite street circuity. But I, I'm, it's, me and Christian are going to get some hate for this that's fine bring it on you know you're allowed your own opinion but but for me i i like that hairpin before the straight there's something about it i think it it seems like people have to be very patient and you can make a lot of mistakes coming through the bus stop into that hairpin is an area drivers can make mistakes also that that chicane in the middle of the two straights it does produce wheel-to-wheel action it gives people an opportunity to have a go and crucially matt for me there's a couple of different lines you can attempt through there to try and attack. And to me, that is interesting. A little bit ruined by the end of the straight. I don't think that, that little left, right, left does it any favours. But anyway, we'll absorb the, the hate for that. Yeah. Now, and if you're talking about things to look forward to, uh, let's remind ourselves that one of the few races where Haas did well, and I mentioned this for Christian's sake, yes. <laughs> was that the other desert race that takes place after dark as the temperatures drop that's actually going to bring some different teams into contention late and could see some potentially interesting strategic variations depending upon what happens at the beginning. But yeah, it has sort of been a Mercedes track the last couple of years for sure. I think it is going to be a straight fight between uh, between uh, Ferrari and Mercedes. We've not gone into the Ferrari inter-team battle and the, the team orders that they might be under. It does feel a little bit like sticking the knife in at this point. But Chris, it it will be interesting to see, have they had their wings clipped or will they say it's the end of the season, season, you're free to race? Please let it be the second one because these two guys are not just, they're not giving each other any quarter at all. They can talk the talk. Sebastian Vettel is amazing on a microphone. He's a great PR guy. When it comes to helmet on, visor down, he just does not want Leclerc to be anywhere near him. He wants to stamp his authority, and Leclerc seems to feel much the same. I mean, what do you do if you're Benotto and you go on the... It's going to be another, oh, come on, uh, come on, Charles, this is silly. Come on, Seb, this is silly. It's not going to have any effect. Nothing they say on the pit wall is going to stop these two guys racing each other. Well, the circuit won't let them get close enough to oh, each other to God. overtake anyway. So Such uh, a negative No, I... <laughs> In, in, in all seriousness, I, I, I do hope that they haven't uh, clipped their wings and that they do let them soar because oh, it's just been it's just been so good when when they do actually go wheel to wheel. It's been such an interesting battle over the course of the season. You know, the young gun going up against the four time world champion, and I would hate for 
that battle to end on a bit of a yeah if we see, in fact it will be it will be really disappointing for f1 if we were to yeah. hear a uh, okay bring it home boys and they do without attacking either way that would be disappointing it's a, it's a great battle within the sphere of formula one guys i really hope you can enjoy the last grand prix of 2019 i hope you've had a great season watching it i hope you've had a great season listening to missed apex podcast we'll be doing our race review on sunday night as normal so come and join us on the live stream make sure you get subscribed to missed apex podcast on youtube follow the show at missed apex f1 i'm at spanners ready on twitter at matt pt 55 uh, chris stevens is at chris on racing uh, christian's instagram is far too f- i'm not going to try spelling that out again just search danish f1 guy maybe that will get you somewhere uh, but we will be streaming live here from the shed do make sure you subscribe to our podcast on your podcatcher of choice. If Even if you're one of those Apple people that like having to use 18 adapters on all your stuff, you can do Apple iTunes. Subscribe. Then you'll get it delivered to you. You can email me, spannersready at gmail.com. If you don't know how to do that, I'll help you out uh, and provide you with an RSS feed. And we would be delighted if you would consider supporting our podcast here at patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex. If you think you would buy me or Matt a pint, or a coffee in an airport lounge, then do consider joining our Slack community, our Patreon community. There's a live chat room. We've got a waffle cast, and you will get an ad-free feed as well. We'll be doing content all through the winter, except for two Sundays, where we're going to give ourselves a bit of Christmas time off, and we will be back on January the 5th to do a nice long run-up with lots of interesting F1 content into what I'm sure will be a fantastic 2020 season. But Matt, there is a, an award we do in our race previews, isn't there? Should, should we get to that? Yes. Comment of the week. That's what I love about you and me, Matt. We can just bounce off each other. Like, just loads of, like, witty banter. Yes. Okay. What is, <laughs> what is this week's uh, lineup for contenders of comment of the week? Well, I, I must admit the chat room got very involved in arguing about things, so we don't have the usual number of bond mods. But thank you, Mark Greenhow, for that excellent little donation through YouTube. And yes, Slack does rule. Um, so uh, we start with our friend Mark Greenhow. Has Spanners done something new with his hair? He's looking very attractive this week, which I regret to tell him falls into the same category as Ian Frost. Trumpets look so handsome today. I have and had that- a haircut. That was very observant of you. I, In fact, I went to the hairdresser and they, they he, he tried to do a trendy haircut, right? And he did one of these ones where there's like a line and there's like things happening on the side. And because obviously like I look fantastic for my age, I had to explain to him. I said, no, look, I am a 40-year-old dad of two, and it looks like I'm trying too hard. So bless him for no extra charge. He went out of his way, and he went, right, let's do let's do a dad haircut. How about a crew cut? And I went, yes, let's roll with that. And that's what I've got going on now. That's, it suits you well. Uh, Daniel Longworth has a question that I'm going to interject. You can pay your taxes with iTunes gift cards. Can I donate using Best Buy gift cards? You absolutely can. And in fact, on three occasions, oh my gosh, I, honestly, that, that was one of some of the most useful donations we've had to Miss Apex podcast was people buying us Amazon vouchers and just have gone, here is an amount of Amazon vouchers. Because for me, that is a guilt-free studio purchase so i agonize over every little upgrade but when it's an amazon voucher you just go right boom there's the boom arm i need boom there's the mixer upgrade boom that means i can look at a new mic although i do love my high lpr 40 
It is a beautiful sound you get off of that. Uh, the chat room is having a lot of fun with you now that you've announced your age. Oops. <laughs> so sorry about that. I and, do not uh, look 45, you there. <laughs> where, where are the mods in this chat room? Ban, block, ban, hammer. Thanks for, thanks for joining in. All right, comment of the week. Have we actually had any nominees yet? Uh, we've not even gotten to the actual nominees yet. So I will do that now. Stuart Neal. I see the missed Apex bedsheets are not in yet. Number one, Chris's bedsheets. We'll work on that. And also with, unfortunately, when I was in the cart, all I could think about is, I wonder when Bradley will lap me. Yes, that is a very present and uh, inevitable danger at missed Apex carting. That's two, bedding, carting. Um, Evangelos Heteroclitus, yet again with the pithy quote, Press here, Boomer, when you were talking about your Instagram adventures. (laughs) Uh, Fine. Look, I can't keep up with all the social medias. Time just goes by a lot quicker. But yes, thank you. Thank you very much to Chris for helping me with that. And then finally, our friend Mark Greenhow was in with talking about Ted's notebook. Yes, had Haas out soon in his notebook, but he'd forgotten that it was just a reminder to check on Romaine after the warm up lap. And after every pit stop, has he negotiated that pit exit? So between bedsheets, carting, uh, insulting me personally, and the hardest comment, who's the winner? I have to say, I do believe this week it's Stuart Neal with I See the Missed Apex Bedsheets Are Not In Yet. Comment of the week. I mean, Chris, you could just get a green screen and we'd stop judging you. I'm looking into moving office actually oh nice oh well actually i think we'll miss your bedroom it's been an ever-present feature of missed apex for like four years now sorry i was distracted by a very worrying message i just received um no it is it is going to be a bit of a a, a stable uh that's <laughs> that's gone i know everyone's going to miss it because the um chat room loves it honestly everyone loves chris's bedroom matt Yeah, uh, we had yet another inquiry about merch from Missed Apex. Uh, Are we doing anything about shirts and stuff like that? Should we have this conversation offline and get back to our audience next week? Okay, so firstly, you've ruined any uh, possibility of me salvaging this with a slick outro. Uh, Ending a show is harder than starting a show. We have several options on the line. I am going to park it over the winter, and we're going to start the new season with Missed Apex merch available, I swear. Can I be honest with you? Yes, always. I'm so used to doing this after the outro that I forgot we actually hadn't yet. No, we haven't finished. Let me do my cool... (laughs) Let me do my cool outro bit where I say, you can follow us at Mr. Apex F1. Join us for our live stream. We're going to be catching up with Joe Sayward sometime early this week before he heads off to the final race of the season. But wherever you see us next, be brave because wounds heal, chicks do dig scars and glory. Last forever, this was Missed Apex. I mean, we've had some terrible outros. I mean, we've really bombed hard in the past, but that... I'm going to leave that unedited as a monument to our inability to cleanly get out of a show, Matt. We suck. I thought we were already done. <laughs> no, no, 
Oh man, <laughs> we were so I'm so used to having it after the outro, and it was just such a casual conversation. Yeah, but there's me trying I to find. Completely I'm, lost track. I'm trying to find like a good drum beat. Where's the good drum beat where I can go? Yeah, that's us. We're out of here. And all that time, Matt Trumpets, my co-host, my podcasting brother in arms, <laughs> uh, is sitting there going, "Well, we're done. So I guess I can just say whatever I want." I mean, like, imagine if you'd done your normal, like, litigious post-live stream stuff where you just start, you know, admitting crimes and accusing people of criminal offences. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 